0: Welcome, I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Banjo Chat, where I bring in amazing banjo players and chat with them about their life, their music, their stories, their pitfalls, inspirations, and advice. So, join us on this journey into Banjo Chat. Hello, hello, welcome to the Banjo Chat. I'm your host, Hillary Hawk. It's Wednesday, here we are. Where are you all at this week? I'm making it through, stuff is piling on, but I'm doing it. I'm waking up early, getting those extra emails done. It's a lot, but, you know, we all kind of make it through. We are in full swing and fall here. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to my awesome cousin, Sierra Mac. A lot of you listeners have been writing in and asking where the artwork for the banjo chat came from. And that's from her. That's my cousin, Sierra. And she's actually she's my cousin, but she's my mom's... Cousin's granddaughter, so I don't know what that makes her. She's like my second cousin or third cousin. She's my mom's cousin's granddaughter Anyway, Sierra is amazing and I'll link her website below, but it's www.wearablechaos.com She's in uh, she's an apprenticeship as a tattoo artist. She's a total badass. So check out her stuff Also, coming up in November, I'm going to give a little plug here. This is an unpaid plug because I really want to plug it. Um, This is the Ashokan Center in Ashokan, New York. Uh, They're always putting on great summer classes, workshops, and camps for folk and bluegrass, old time and swing, and more. Um, It's run by Ruth and Mike Miranda uh, from The Mammals and by Jay Unger and Molly Mason. I'll be up there November 17th through the 19th for their first ever banjo weekend. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. There's some sliding scale opportunities for payment, and it's me, Tony Trishka, Cedric Watson, Joe Newberry, and Scott Hopkins, along with some other folks on fiddle and guitar. Anyway, just want to throw that out there if you're looking for some banjo fun here in New York. So let's get right to it here. Our guest today is a badass, an empowered songwriter, a blues and rock guitarist, an old time banjoist, and she can sing. I've been listening to the music this past week, you know, just a lot, and she puts her heart and soul and you feel every single note into your core, every note that's being played, every note that's being sung. She plays with her band, and she also does solo shows, and I'm sure she's going to tell you all about this and more. Um, Christina Vane, thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. When you were reading your intro, and you are like, well, we have amazing banjo players, I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not qualified for your show. I'm just an okay banjo no, player. No, <laughs> you
0: are amazing. And I know it's like funny to hear that intro, because it's like, wait a second, it's like, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been to a camp where there's, like, levels, or you've taught at a camp where there's, like, levels, and you have to give people, like, beginner, intermediate, and advanced, and no one ever signs up for the advanced classes because <laughs> no one, thinks, yeah, we're no too one humble. thinks they're advanced. And it's too like, humble. what is advanced anyway? Like, who who signs up for that class? Right. Like, you know, I don't know. I guess if there's, like, an audition or something. But, um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I think, what <laughs> happens, um, Uh, So, yeah, just wondering, where are you living these days? Are you in Nashville? Yeah, I live in Nashville. I've lived here for four years. Mm. So when you got to Nashville, is that when you started to pick up the banjo? Is is that where you felt like an influence to start playing banjo?
1: Um, No. I picked up the banjo in California when I lived there for four years as well. Ah. I was working at McCabe's Guitar Shop and... Actually, that really wasn't even the impetus for the banjo. uh amazing pal of mine called Gina Leslie mm. is the reason that I learned Clawhammer. She is from an amazing musical family, the Leslies. Dom plays with Molly Tuttle and Ricky Skaggs and that kind of thing. And Sam is an unc- incredible musician. And she is also an incredible musician. And we became fast friends and I was already playing slide and I saw her do that on her banjo and I was like, what is that? Can you teach me? And she taught me Tim O'Brien's Red Dog. And awesome. well, first she tried to teach me how to claw hammer and that took a really long time. So yeah, that's, that, she's kind of the reason she showed me how to do it and then having a job at a guitar shop meant that I could access banjos and practice. And like, I took one lesson from John Rosen um, who taught there in Los Angeles to figure out how to drop them and the rest is just self-taught
0: that's awesome so were you hearing like is there old time like is there a lot of bluegrass and old time in LA or
1: I mean I don't want to say no but I think I have the authority to say no now that I've lived like in a place that genuinely does have a lot more bluegrass in old time of right. course there is bluegrass in old time it's a city of what two million like yes there are definitely people there that play those genres but it's by no means like you know, from there. And the experience I had when I was just getting into it, to be fair, I didn't dig super deep because I moved away after my, you know, first initial maybe year of being into the banjo. But I had a friend, uh, Jordan, who would come with me to the jams, and they were mostly just jams at older folks' homes. And maybe one restaurant jam that was pretty fun, but it was like 40 people, you know, and... Um, and yeah I've I've since then met some really awesome people like the Water Tower Band out in LA and like my friend Joe and Jordan Hook who they have a little bit more of a community going than I did um but it, it just again doesn't compare anywhere close to when I moved to Nashville and you know there are Kids that didn't go to school and learned how to play bluegrass instead, like, and the ones some of them went to school for bluegrass, like, right? There's just it's just in the water, you know, in a different way. So I would say they're not really comparable, but yeah, not as much in LA as as here. But you know, it exists everywhere, I guess.
0: I love that because it's like that's how I feel about being in New York City. You know, it's a lot of people are like, "How did you play the banjo growing up in New York City?" I actually didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in Mm -hmm. upstate New York, but it's, there's, there's, I mean, some great banjo players came from New York state, you know? And, um, but being in the city, you have some of the greatest musicians passing through constantly. And like, there is a scene here. There's a scene, I think like, what's different that I've noticed, like for the most part, my adult life has been in New York city, but when I leave and I go and tour and I play in like, North Carolina or South Carolina and I play the banjo <laughs> it's it's received so much more than it is in New York City like I play the banjo here and people are like oh cool you know like like <laughs> small yeah, claps totally. like awesome and then I go to like North Carolina and people are like this is this is the shit like you know like, people freak out other places and it and then it makes me really like wonder you know why do I why do I keep living here but <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. but the city's I mean, great. I, you
1: know, I um, I took like a five month journey um, out of LA. I kind of hit a pretty big wall. It wasn't because I wasn't old timer bluegrass. I was much more interested in slide mm. and finger style guitar, so blues. Um, but I just felt musically, socially, less socially. I I liked my life, but I was really just hitting a wall I was like all my oh I see all these people with managers and whatnot and it's hard to get gigs Mm. and what am I doing should I just get a job so I was going to quit music and instead I decided to tour for like five months and just see if maybe getting out of LA which I had never done before you know I'd never been on the road would solve that problem and honestly what you just said was a really big reason that I decided to aim for somewhere that I could live in the south Mm. um Because I found the reception to, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an insult. It's not me trying to shade any place. It's just a fact. Like Delta blues comes from the Mississippi Delta, not from Mm. the Delta in Canada or wherever. You know, so like, and I can say that because I'm not from either place. I love L. A. and I love Mississippi. I'm from Europe, and I'm just trying to figure out how to get closest to the source. And the source is not in Venice Beach. Like, Mm -hmm. there are amazing people to learn from there. And I probably could still be there learning new things for sure. But when I travel down here to your point and I pull out the slide and I pull out my claw hammer, it is speaking to a larger tradition that's, like, bigger than just, oh, I I learned some tunes off of YouTube. You know, it's, like, um, something that's a lot deeper. And I felt, like, as a scholar it wasn't even a preference thing. Like I actually really liked living in LA. I just felt that as a scholar of this music and as someone who's drawing heavily on something that is a cultural and historical phenomenon, honestly, that you can trace, it made sense for me to be closer to those things. So I could really, you know, take it all in and like in my average interactions, in my passing interactions at the bar or at a show, meet either extremely well-versed people in these genres or people with crazy stories about, you know, some of the musicians that I look up to. And just, I was, like, thrown into the fire in Nashville. Like, mm. I didn't know how to sing bluegrass harmonies. I didn't know how to play bluegrass guitar. Barely knew how to play old time in a, a joint setting. I'd never been to a fiddle fiddle convention, and except for the Topango one, but I, I played, you know, fingerstyle in that competition, and I didn't know really how to jam with people. And so, yeah, it's just been exactly what I thought it would be so it's like funny because it's you know I don't think I would have come here otherwise like Mm. I was living my little life and I'm quite happy to be out there but music is my life and I was like you know how do I get closer to the things that are the most important to me and it's moving closer like geographically for me helped that a lot.
0: This is really inspiring because I feel like you have (laughs) like a clarity uh, like a clarity and a focus that I think it's like hard for some people to like identify what they want and I feel <laughs> like you have music in you like you you're a guitarist before you're a banjoist so like you knew that you're going to be a musician in any respect even if banjo wasn't a part of it oh yeah and
1: before the, like the guitar was I mean the songwriting stuff was not even my the beginning of my you know journey with music like I've been in, in music well before I even knew mm. what blues blues and like slide were um I played like the piano growing up and then actually my main love was the flute mm. and I loved classical music but I grew up on rock and like metal and punk and indie music basically every and songwriter like Bonnie Iver everything from the 2000s that was big that that I liked I guess that's stupid to say but it kind of was a, a mixture of all those things and ranging from Metallica to the Shins. And then, you know, I stumbled into slide guitar in college by seeing someone play it live. And I was like, wow, what is that? And I taught myself and it became my whole life. But like, it is an interesting feeling of playing catch up. When sometimes I'm like, hey, hold on, I'm not actually catching up. I've been doing this. Yeah. I love music. I've been writing music, but I am catching up in this style. Like I don't have the diction. I don't have the vocabulary in roots music or blues or whatever. So it's been like years of of that, of being like, I want to have the vocabulary, so I'm gonna learn it. And then at some point I had to evolve out of the learning stage and into like, well now I have a voice and I have had a voice this whole time and I want to write music and it's not going to be traditional blues or traditional bluegrass because that's not my story.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: it isn't, it doesn't feel always like I have laser beam focus, you know, it's like confusing journey a lot of the time, but yeah, I would say that music has been a pretty constant motivator, but I didn't like drop out of college to start my career in music. You know, I could have done that. Maybe it would have saved me some time. Um, I, I've, you know, I live a life. And then I was like, yeah, I think I want to do this as my life, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I think all those influences really like make you the musician you are. And uh, I think it's like the, s- the story that a lot of people have is like, what, how do I, how do I make this music career? And like, am I doing what I want to do? Am I, you know, following the path? You know, am I happy? I'm on my path. Is this my path? You know, like it's really confusing. And, um, you know, even for myself, like, I think it's like people want to put you in a box all the time. You know, I feel like when, when people, or the, almost like the, the way you do the best is if you are in a box, like people can understand what your thing is that you're doing. And, you know, for me, uh, it's like, I'm a banjo player. I play the banjo. I'm a banjo, a professional banjo player. And this is what I do. I get hired for gigs and all styles. And it's like, I do way more than that but that's how I like kind of like market myself (laughs) but like you like I I love classical music and uh, have a whole array of like musical upbringing that doesn't involve banjo and um, totally but that's how you know you kind of have to choose something and be like all right, this is who I am right now question mark I think you know
1: well respectfully i might slightly disagree with that last sentence i don't know that you have to choose i think that we feel like we have to choose and especially for me at least like when i came here and i saw people that all of their musical history had been focused in the same box to your Mm -hmm. point like they were a banjo player when they were eight and it was bluegrass and they are a banjo player now and they're 28 and it's still bluegrass that doesn't mean they don't do other things of course but like I felt, I think that for me, it was really important in the last couple of years to shine a light on that past Mm. that didn't seem to matter to other people. Like no one's asking me if I like Bach, you know, Mm. I love Baroque music. I Mm. love it. I think it's amazing. Do I play it all the time? No. Does it come up in conversation very often? But I do feel like it didn't have, it, it isn't about me telling someone like, hey, I am not just a roots person. It's about, like, accepting that in my own mind and realizing that, like, I'm allowed to be both. And that's the only reason I say, like, I disagree slightly is, like, that's my whole shtick is that I'm allowed to be all these things. And it's taken, like, a lot of – and I still wonder sometimes because there are people that would be, like, that's not the right marketing move. You should stick Mm -hmm. to the guitar and the banjo is confusing people. Are you a rock band or are you a roots band? Are you Americana or are you country because there's some pedal steel on the first album? And I just, uh, you know, I'm just like, sometimes feel that pressure, but I want to honor the girl who likes Blink-182 as much as the girl who liked, you know, chorales and flute music as much as the girl who then liked Metallica as much as the girl who's obsessed with Mississippi John Hurt and Bill Monroe. Like, those are all me. And I was tired of feeling like I had to be more palatable and that, like, especially here in Nashville, be more like, I love Hank Williams and I love Waylon Jennings. (laughs) Like, I do. I do. I listen to Hank Williams obsessively. But truthfully, if this was my life, he came along, like, here. And if I was born here, let's say. There's all this other stuff that happened way before Hank Williams that, like, I only got hip to him, you know, after I graduated college. Like, I was already 24 or something. So to not honor those things that came before feels like, not honor, like you don't have to like, you know, put it on a pedestal or anything, right. but just to not acknowledge that like, no, that person's still alive and well. And this year I've like actually delved back into some of that music that I hadn't really listened to in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it gave me such joy, like just yeah. to put on some of the pop punk or like, you know, like heavy metal. I I listen to metal like pretty often, um but you know, just some of the stuff I was like, oh my God, I haven't listened to Block Party or like the Shins or the Libertines or Bonnie Vere in depth or like any of these people in so long because I've been like, oh, the blues and country and it's so yeah. fascinating and it's all new to me. But I actually feel my best when I'm like drawing from all of it. When I'm like, ooh, I love that there's this trad instrumentation, but maybe I'm gonna use a really 2000s chord in it, you know, and make someone feel like, whoa, what's going on? So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And that's why I'm like, you know, that banjo player in you and that classical person in you, they're both as important, even though you might mostly do banjo, I guess, is all I'm saying is how I look at it. You know, I'm like, That that like to what you said earlier that that is why you play the banjo the way you do right or that's why I sing and write the way I do so I'm trying actively actually to illuminate those other boxes more and not just be like oh guys for for all intents and purposes you know I'm the blues gal it never felt right to say that Mm. because I'm so blatantly not I'm not from here I you know grew up in Europe like people are like what. A blues gal. She's white and she's from Italy. I don't know about all this, and <laughs> it just felt strange because that wasn't like really my true story. So
0: yeah, I don't know. There's so much right now that I want to talk to you about, and like I just feel like we're gonna I could nerd out with you and like this like like
1: totally this, like totally musical this identity comes, is yeah tricky. musical
0: identity, and I feel like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to like oh, hit it all because it's this Go is so it. it's so interesting to me. Um, yeah, but I do feel like because you've mentioned Italy a couple times. When did you move here, and what? Uh, yeah, and what's your story coming from Italy, and how long were you there? Were you born there?
1: Yeah, um, I was okay. born in Italy. When I was three, I moved to England. When I was six, I moved to France. When I was twelve, ish, wow. I moved back to Italy, and then I did the rest of my high school in Paris, back in France. So, I came to the United States when I was eighteen. I went to college uh, at Princeton in New Jersey, and that was my first time living here. For real i guess because i had visited my dad's italian american so i'd visited um, our family in connecticut before and i had like gone you know i think we had been to la Mm. to drop my brother off at college so i wasn't like a total stranger to the united states but um and i look and sounded american enough but when i got here it was super wacky i was just like culturally in in a really new environment and um Yeah, and that's pretty much how I ended up here. And then after college, I went to L.A., and then I came to Nashville.
0: Wait a minute. So you moved here when you were, do you say 17? 18. 18. So you were 18. Uh, Actually, was I 17 or 18? Did I turn 18 after?
1: No. No. No, I'm I'm in the normal years. So I think when you graduate high school you're 18 already and then I moved. Yeah.
0: I would have gone to college. I have no the next idea. Fall. I always forget that part of going to college. I'm like, how old was
1: I? I don't I know. don't remember. I was young. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. 17 uh, or 18, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you were already like into like music and like considering music as a profession at that time.
1: I was. I I had a lot of other interests like mm. And I speak, you know, four languages. So I kind of thought I was going to go into like translation or writing or potentially UN politics Ah. stuff, like IR stuff. Um, I was very unsure because even though I played music growing up, I had a lot of extracurriculars. I had a lot of other interests. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I started writing songs. I think that's when it changed, like in high school. And as that became more of a thing... I got to college and I didn't love the music program. I really Mm -hmm. did want to major in music. And then I felt as though it was a very either jazz or classic slash modern contemporary program. There was like nothing in between for me. And um, I was really just kind of irritated by that. And after like a year of the grueling, you know, three lectures of Music 101, ear Mm -hmm. training, the two precepts where you're doing back curls. Like after a year of that, I was like, I'm not doing this major because I don't want to play the flute like professionally. I like this, and you're mm-hmm. killing my joy with it. I quit the flute because I had a teacher that was literally just for fun. Like I was paying this woman. And she was stressing me out as a freshman at Princeton about not practicing enough. And I was like, fuck off. Like, I can't.
0: Yeah. I can't.
1: I don't want to approach this like this. So I just kept writing in my room and learning a bunch of songs. And my friends in college would, like, come listen sometimes and sit on the ground and just be like, play that Bonnie Vera song. Um, and then... It wasn't until I graduated that I was like, I'm really going to make an honest go at this because I've got my degree. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. need to go get a different kind of job, I can do that. But I want to try, you know, I love music makes me feel good was really the only reason I decided to pursue music.
0: It's really not That's poetic great. at all. That's the best reason. <laughs>
1: I was like, sorry, it's selfish, but it's the only thing that consistently makes me feel pretty good. And even when I don't feel good, at least I don't feel worse after. So why not try and do that as a living?
0: That's why people try not to pay musicians. This is a, they say, this yeah. is the thing that you enjoy. You're doing the thing you enjoy. This is a passion thing. You know, here's, you mm-hmm. know, 50 bucks for your mm-hmm. game. And you're like, no, 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 this is my job. This is, but I also enjoy it. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah, but that is the best reason to do anything is because you you love it, you know?
1: In that sense, I feel pretty lucky because not (laughs) everyone can make that choice, like, you know, out of college and be like, I think I want to try. I obviously have had like a family that supported me on that journey and and help and and all these kinds of things. So, But I I definitely made the conscious decision to try because I was like, should I drop out of college, Taylor Swift or whatever? My dad was like, no 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 i could do that so i guess i i was like i'll just have to stick out college and then then i can really try and be a rock star
0: well here's a a banjo question for you um because you're playing slide guitar a lot and you're playing finger style guitar why did why didn't you just go to finger style banjo honestly probably
1: at the time i didn't even like it very much i remember there was a time Mm -hmm. before i was familiar with like a lot of string music where i didn't like what I called the violin (laughs) I didn't like the fiddle I was like oh it's a scratchy instrument I don't even like it very much I like Mm -hmm. rock music what the hell so um my knowledge of these things was super limited I had never really listened to bluegrass I had one Bill Monroe record that you know was hand me down from my dad and I actually really enjoyed that record even back then but um When Gina came along, the claw hammer is so melodic and she was singing all these pretty songs on it, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is my bag. Like, this is so cool. Um, I have since tried to learn three-finger style and I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. I learned Cripple Creek, like, note for note, but then I try and actually just roll on anything and I can't do it. Like, it's so Mm counterintuitive, the rhythm of, of the plucking for me. My thumb picking has been like years of muscle memory now that I don't not want to undo. I know it's not like that, but it's too much work to like build a new pathway right now. I'm already trying to get better at my instruments, so I'm just like, yeah, that's mostly why. It's just like I really like the claw hammer better, honestly.
0: Yeah, the singing is a big part of the claw hammer. I think it's a little more intuitive, like with uh, the the claw hammer, and um, that's a big draw for myself too. Yeah. um, and then when I play <laughs> when I play fingerstyle guitar, I can't help it. I hit that six string way too much because it's like I think it's like the drone yeah. on the on the banjo, and I'm like boom, 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 boom. Well, <laughs> the drone, the, the drone,
1: just whatever style of banjo you play, like the drone is just such a mind fuck when you start if you're coming from the guitar, yep. like having that high string at the top for clawhammer too. I was like, what the hell is this? Like it took me a yeah. minute to get over. You know, that. So I, I think that actually finger style would have been even harder because I was still at that time learning to just right. get that thumb like consistent on my low strings. And if I had to mm. switch into a whole different thing, I probably would have been suffering in both.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Well. Have you ever tried like the slide on the banjo? <laughs> uh, no. No. I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm just I'm, not. I'm interested. I want to hear that at some point. I was like, I did for fun in that. the studio,
1: like one note last week yeah. i was like what i know people do it but i've got a great instrument and amp yeah. for slide sounds and i don't like the way the banjo sounds with the slide it's like really thin compared to the resonator yeah. so for me the action and it doesn't have the action which makes it yeah. harder so i'm just like Mrah. but if you crack the code as a banjo as a true banjo player i would love to hear that
0: <laughs> i'll let you know yeah. um So what kind of banjo are you playing? What's your banjo of choice? I play an Eastman White Lady replica. Oh, nice. They
1: stopped making them, I believe. But when I was Uh. working at McCabe's, uh, we were an Eastman dealer. So I was Mm. able to get a dealer discount on that, just like my guitar, actually, because we were a national dealer, too. And that was a really, obviously, a big reason that I could afford a banjo like that. I think it retailed, Mm -hmm. like around $1,400 at the time or something crazy like that. And I got a crazy deal um, on it. So I was like, yeah, I want the pretty one. That was quite literally my logic. I was like, it's pretty. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and with this discount, it's like half the price. So like, yeah, I want that. It's Very not true. much more than a Deering, which are so like plain compared to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so I got it. And um, the awesome tech at McCabe's, put in a gold tone, I think it's called the T1 pickup. And it's strapped to the dowel stick. And it's honestly just been zip tied back there for five years. And it's been mostly fine. It's kind of like it's gotten loose once or twice. But yeah, that's it. The white lady. I also did have a scoop put in like two years ago. Oh,
0: nice. Yeah. Nice. It helps a lot for me. Do you use a preamp with the banjo?
1: I have an LR bags venue.
0: The bags, yeah, Yeah, nice. I
1: think there's probably better ones out there. I just, I think similarly, I got a good deal with that, and it lasted me a while. But now, like things are starting to come unscrewed, and like I'm also considering a better tone for the banjo, so I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if I should upgrade that eventually. But kind of make some money first.
0: Yeah, no, I hear that. (laughs) You know, listening to your music, um, I just there's a there's a slide player that made me think of you. Or I was just wondering if you're into this person. He's he used to live in New York. His name's Chris Whitley. He was a slide resonator guitar player. And he also played banjo. And I was wondering if you ever kinda got into him at all.
1: That people can't see this, right? They're just gonna hear it because they won't see yeah. my hands fluttering on my heart because Chris oh. Whitley is oh, just one of my faves and really? rest in peace. Yeah. Um, absolutely magical musician. And he does have some epic like banjo talk about like putting the banjo into a cool you're talking yeah for a second i was like wait she's not talking about keith whitley right like we're talking about chris because every time i bring up chris yes. whitley people are like keith whitley i'm like no chris whitley well so he's got a really fascinating yeah. approach to playing on the resonator too like and i learning some of his songs it inspired some of my songs where i bend he does a lot of bending oh, and like nice. boom, boom, stuff that i didn't d- i did a lot of single note like blind willie johnson inspired slide work and he was a huge influence and kind of inspiration to me, actually. Um, I love Chris Whitley, so, yeah. People I do, too. listen He's to
0: him. so amazing. And there's an album uh, that some of my friends, some of my older friends, uh, were involved with, uh, the Dirt Floor album. That's and, my favorite um, album. Oh, and I kidding. was about
1: to say, like, the song people should listen to is the banjo. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna run. I don't care. I'm a smoking gun yes na, na, na. that's a banjo he's playing in the background yeah
0: um,
1: um so i forget the name, the name that i don't know but y'all there's, just there's listen a... to the whole
0: album it's so good i know i seriously it's such a good album i mean i love the banjo playing on that album and i just oh it's so good but um my friend was telling me uh, because I was like, "Hey, do you do you remember this album?" and blah blah blah. He was telling me that uh, That's so cool that, that you know they someone. recorded it. <laughs> that <laughs> they went to a cabin, yeah, and he recorded it with one microphone the whole album, and it was just straight to tape, just straight to tape.
1: Yeah, I heard it was like you know you hear about these concept albums like Bonnie Iver did something similar when his wife yeah. passed from cancer, and he went out and
0: mm.
1: in a cabin. And stripped down, right? And I, I know that Chris Whitley had been a Daniel Lenoir discovery. He was, like, homeless, mm, essentially. Right. Daniel yeah. Lenoir is this famous edgy photographer, music guy, right? And he brings him into, not stardom, but his first album was, like, critically acclaimed. And it's full band. The Big Sky Country, that, that whole sound. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, someone also told me that Chris just, like, was like, I want to get away from all of that and go complete opposite. Like, strip it down mm. as much as possible. I... I'm obsessed with Dirt Floor. Somebody gave me a vinyl when I was in L.A. of that. I was like, oh, I have two of these. Here, just take one. And it turned out to be one of my favorite albums. Like, it's so great.
0: That's amazing. Well, I'm really – that's really cool because I had a feeling I was just like, this – you guys have, like, a similar sound or, like, Uh, if you didn't know about him, I'd be like, you got to know about this person. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, there's another – I mean, I'm just going to throw this out here. There's another blues banjo player that I really like that – um. I I mean it's different than what what you're doing but his name's John White and there's like this great album called Banjo Blues. Cool. And and he's just like off the radar. I mean so I mean some listeners here might might know who he is and I know he used to go to festivals but that album is also really good. John it's called White. it's just called John White Banjo Blues and cool. I like that it. Yeah, John that White. album really really got me too. It's it's more it's a little more um it's toned down. It's not like like what Chris Whitley's doing but um it's a, uh, I don't know, a really good album. So I think uh, if you like that kind of stuff, listeners here, check that one out too.
1: Absolutely, that's awesome. Someone else I was just listening to today that actually I think probably doesn't think of it this way. I don't know because I haven't watched any interviews, but what we were talking about with that boxing in a lot, someone who I yeah. think does a really brilliant job of like upending that is Danny Barnes. And he's got like that blues element and he's got the rock, the 90s sound, the 2000s sound, the electronic stuff that he seeps into that. You know, I find that really fascinating as somebody who's just I'm not willing to just be like, oh, well, it's it's a banjo song. So I have to have string band instrumentation. I'm like, no, actually, let's put some drums on here because it's been done before. So why not now, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, Bill Monroe had drums in the beginning, so. So did Jimmy what? Martin.
1: Jimmy, if it was good what? enough for Jimmy Martin, it's good enough for my weird little trio.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. Um, well, let's, can we get to listening a little, to a little bit of your music? Yeah. Um, so I've been listening to your albums. No, uh, Nowhere Sounds Lovely and Make Myself Me Again. And uh, and so we're going to listen to the banjo tracks on that. And these, these songs, uh, they're all originals. And you're playing a lot of slide guitar. Uh, but you do have a couple of banjo tunes on them. And so I kind of wanted to focus on those, obviously, since it's a banjo podcast. So all right. So let's listen to um, let's listen to uh, River Roll. So here we go.
1: My body close to my soul to my soul River keep me steady so I don't flow. Don't keep it from where it goes. That moon's so full, don't stop to wonder.
0: That's River Roll, and what I really love about that track is um, you really get the vibe of that minor banjo sound. Um, I- I'm guessing you're in sawmill tuning or minor tuning, but... and, and then I'm you're, not. Oh, you're not?
1: That's why I like this tune. Somebody complimented me once, and they were like, I've never seen someone play out of double C like that. And ah. Not that it was ex- exceptionally deft or anything. It's just it, like, yeah... I'm actually out of double C, which is one of my favorite tunings, and I was just like I sing way better here. Yeah, the flat seven doesn't have a root at the bottom the way I'd love it to, but um I figured out how to do my little flat seven and four shape up there and like I just avoid that low string when I play those and and then bar the major chords, you know, for the chorus. Or I make them not major, I guess. I make them like
0: neither. Neither. Yeah, it's like <laughs> open, open kind of.
1: Yeah, just the fourth usually. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually in double seat tuning on that.
0: That's really cool. And your voice sounds so good on that oh, tune. Thank you. you really so just sweet. like, you just really captured like the old time sound, but kind of kept your bluesy voice on it. Uh, it's, it's a really cool track. Thank you. It's
1: really nice
0: of you. Yeah, and I feel like all these tracks on this album, they're kind of like dealing with like the struggle of life, but also like the strength. They're all really like uh, int- like intuitive, not intuitive, um, introspective. But I feel like they're like a struggle and strength of like kind of coming through totally. to something.
1: That song in particular is mostly about the end of the world. Actually, um, it's like an an eco. It's one of my. F- only mildly, not even political, just like socially oriented songs. Yeah, the songs about kind of the end of the world. Like, I was in, a, I was with my feet in the river in Estes Park in Colorado, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Nature so amazing. I wish I could be like the water. And then I was like, oh, like, we're probably not going to be able to do this in 30 years, 40 years. I don't know. It was kind of a macabre moment. And that's what that chorus is about. Like, we're gonna fill the lakes with iron and rust, golden shore, there's always more until one day the river had enough. And that means the river's gonna kill us all. Wow.
0: <laughs> that's the idea with that one. Wow. Really, really unbelievable meaning in that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I actually didn't pick Thanks. up on that. I thought it was a little bit more like a uh, symbol. Um, I love that
1: you didn't because it's, it's not out there necessarily. But whenever I play it live, I'm always like, this song's about the end of the world. And people are like, what? Like, I don't think they get it either. They're so like, bar fine. keep, one more. <laughs> They're like. Yeah, seriously. It looks like the world is ending. We're just take, keep One drinking. more shot.
0: Um, okay, well, cool. I wanted to kind of compare that with your, another one of your songs um, Oxbow yeah. Meanderloop from the same album. This is from the Make Myself Me Again album. Um, so I really love this. There's a section of this tune where there's all this banjo layering. Um, so I wanted to listen to that part of the tune. Um, I mean, I kind of want to start it it from the beginning, but we can't play the whole entire song. So here, I'm just going to take it to that layering part. So here we go. okay that i love that part so much and i just i love how you took the freedom to kind of like layer in parts can you can you tell us a little bit about that section of the song yeah
1: so you're actually hearing kyle tuttle on three finger Ah. baritone banjo um he's playing that bela fleck baritone banjo model on this song this is a co-write technically with like a lot of co-writes i wrote the song pretty much and then together like I was like oh what should I do with this b part and he kind of like you know helped me figure out the b part and then I asked him if he would play on the album and yeah and because he's a fantastic three finger style player I just kept the claw hammer going underneath and kind of kind of grooved out a little but let him do like most of the triplet cool stuff and then that's uh, Billy Contreras on the fiddle coming in after that
0: oh my gosh yeah. well, what a so. cool section of the tune you know I, this. just co- oh, thanks I'm glad it's someone so appreciates cool. it oh <laughs> it's kind of weird now. like it's,
1: it's well I just mean for the rest of the album is all words and mm. you know rock or riffs <laughs> and then there's oxbow which is like a weird timing and a s- no oh well, there are words I guess but to me, it felt like a more mathy kind of cerebral tune compared to like the other stuff that was on that album. So I'm glad that it
0: felt cool to you. <laughs> that's my favorite tune on the album, um, and I hope oh other gosh. people like get into that your that album and like listen to this tune and and that yeah. yeah the banjo playing hear. on that that part is really cool. And this whole idea of co writing is like such a we don't really do that in New York City. Like that's that's a really cool I didn't really do
1: that my whole life, and I still sometimes struggle with it.
0: Yeah.
1: But I realized like. It can, it, it can be a real co-write, like we both start with a blank piece of paper, or it can be as simple as like, I finished this whole song, but I hate this chorus, can you help me? And that, that person is still, if you're nice, credited 50%. Like they, hmm. That's just how it works here. Technically, you could credit them 30% or 20 yeah. if it was a small contribution, but it's kind of nice to play around with that, because sometimes I'm very like, this is my song, I wrote it. Yeah. Um, but it what you know... I didn't like where it was going and Kyle came up with a really cool B part that I enjoyed and I was like, oh yeah, this is what it needed. And so it's half his too, I guess. It's like a kid. <laughs> you can't just take a quarter.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. That's that's really cool. Um, yeah. So I'm going to kind of uh, wrap it up here. I'm going to kind of coast it into the uh, kind of the finishing element, which is where we get into the um, kind of like any recommendations um, – for people who are listening out there who who don't know where to start or or how to keep going with banjo um do you have any advice um you know for anybody that's kind of like how do i how do i make it or how do i keep going with music or banjo in general so
1: i mean i would say with banjo there's so many more qualified people than me that could probably like you or tony Mm Trishkari or any of those people could give them i'm sure much better idea of what specifically what their journey with the banjo might look like. But I know that almost every single musician, no matter what instrument they've played struggles with like really similar core identity mm-hmm. stuff. Like we were kind of touching on earlier and who am I, what does this music mean to me? What does it mean to people when they hear it? What does that mean in general? Is this my calling or is this just something I can do on the side and like live a different life? Those are all like really personal questions. And I guess if I've come close to stopping, like once or twice, like really close once where I, I was pretty sure I was just going to give up on chasing this very difficult, elusive dream. Um, And I would urge you to read the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Ronson. <laughs>
0: I will. Because...
1: It's one of many self-help books. Many other books probably frame this idea. I just happened to read it at a time in my life that was really helpful because one of the chapters focuses on... um, I don't even remember the right terminology. It's been so long. But he basically is saying, like, have your definitions for success right. Because if you have the Mm. wrong definition for success, you're never going to be happy. And the example he uses are... I believe his name is George Best, I'm sorry to the music nerds, the first drummer from the Beatles and Dave Mustaine from Metallica, who then went on to start Megadeth, and he compares their stories roughly being like this, George was with the Beatles and was unceremoniously kicked out right before they became one of the most famous bands in the entire world and continued to be famous. Dave Mustaine was with Metallica, was a horrible drunk, got kicked out right before they also blew the F up, right? And George, what he says in the book is by all accounts, through interviews and things, moved on with his life and Mm -hmm. had a family and found other things that were important to him that defined his idea of success, like how to be a successful, fulfilled person. It didn't hinge on the Beatles. And Dave Mustaine, on the other hand, could never quite let go. And if you look, it's true. Like I've actually seen a lot of these really bitter interviews where Metallica's brought up and he just He couldn't get over the fact that he had the number two band in the world in this style. It's amazing. He had stadiums full of people there to see Megadeth and he couldn't get past the fact that he had been kicked out of Metallica. So like, that is obviously kind of a summarization and I'm sure there were nuances to it. But I realized that I had really messed up ideas of what success would look like. And I think part of that was living in LA and seeing the industry around Mm. everything and being like, I need a manager if I'm going to make it. Or, or rather, not even, a manager is, is a sign that I'm making it. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those stops that right. means I'm doing the right thing. That's bullshit. And I'm telling everyone just like, think really hard about what you want. If you want money and fame and ticket sales, you can focus on that. But you will most likely be unhappy and really struggle with keeping up with your instrument. If you want to be happy and make music and connect with people, the rest is a gift. And you can still work on your business acumen, you can still do things to make it easier to do that full time and to make money. I'm a very realistic person. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm very, you know, yeah. Like How can we streamline? How can we budget? How can we get the band out for this many people and make it worth everyone's time and money? I don't want to be out there wasting time either. But like to your point, I mean, if my band couldn't come with me tomorrow or I don't know, or COVID happened we just couldn't play music anymore. yeah. I still played music. You know, I still wrote songs. I still play music in my house. So you just have to decide, like, is that enough for you? I know some amazing musicians who decided that that was enough and they wanted to do that and they're happier not – because it's hard work. It's sleepless nights. It's no money. It's crying at a show because last time you played there, there was a a thousand people and this time there's ten or whatever. You know, it's like a lot of these really demoralizing things. And if – all you want to do is play music, then just get away from all that is my advice. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be in the rat race, just keep good priorities is my advice. Like keep, try and keep that clear that like, yes, all these things matter. Social media, numbers, sales, they matter, but like not really. Mm -hmm. And how many musicians do we know that have Mississippi John Hurt, man? (laughs) Like like 10, 20, I don't even remember, 30 years went by before the blues folk revolution and they rediscovered all these people that had been working in fields and were complaining about not having five people at shows. Like, you know, there is a little bit of perspective there where it's like, if you love this, you will do it. And if you do it well and you're a good person and you put in a little bit of work ethic, probably good things will come. But like, you know, I just feel like having a little bit of perspective of like, why am I doing this? And if you want money and fame and success, it's gonna potentially be tricky. You probably get all those things, but you might not find fulfillment or you could probably get them doing something else too, right? Like you could become a famous designer or famous whatever, but music is a sacred thing. I
0: don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So if like money is what you want, it might make more sense to get the money somewhere else. Like, you know, not so much pressure on the music part of it. If the music is what you love and you want to be doing that, it's, it's, yeah, you have to find your own happiness. Yeah, it's a really tricky question to answer. And then, like, you know, and like I was saying earlier with your clarity, I feel like you have clarity of, like, what makes you ha- – I'm putting words in your mouth. What makes you happy? Like, clarity of, like, yeah, what's, what is success for you? And I think that's really important. And I think that's – that put that puts you in a good place for, like, mental – like, for, for being able to keep this going, you know, and that's really cool.
1: I'll just, I guess, say one last thing because – The way I see it is when I hit that wall, like, right before Mm -hmm. I went on that big tour um, and I came out of the tour, you know, like, yes, this is what I want to do. And I just swore to myself that I I kind of knew that I would have these feelings again. So it's not like, oh, I just got clarity and now I'm chilling and I'm happy. I've had, like, I I actually cried last week at a show at intermission I haven't done that in a while. I was getting sick and I was really run down, but also I was really emotional. And I was like, gosh, I've been at it for like, yeah. it feels like forever. And there's 15 people in here, man. Right. What am I doing wrong? And I got over it. You know, it's all good. But that one big dip was like my closest brush to stopping fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just vowed that I wouldn't let those little dips. Stop me in the future. So that clarity, in some way, it wavers, but it's it's just that I've I've told myself like, you're gonna feel like this again. Just remember what you learned and how you feel right now, which is like, yes, you absolutely want to do this. Can that change in the future? Yeah, maybe I'll get a different priority in my life. I I doubt it. I don't have a partners. I don't see like you know family (laughs) or something else important like that coming in. But like, if I woke up tomorrow and I was like, you know what, I want to be a photographer. I just this isn't bringing me joy and I really hate it. I would go be a photographer and I think that's the best thing you can do for yourself. It's just also known when to let go, but for me it was like don't let go because shit is hard right now. Let yeah. go because you really don't want to do this or it's really not making you happy or the the benefits are not even close to the negatives. Maybe that's when you switch, but like for me, I know I want to do this until I guess I really know I don't. And everything else is like a a fake it's a trick it's my brain being like this sucks it would be easier to just go get a job and guess what if i got a job and wasn't playing music i would be devastated i would just be so depressed like where i'm at right now you know so um yeah so that's i guess you know kind of where it is for me is like remembering remembering that like i had to to get it tattooed on myself to remember because it's so real when the doubts come in you're just like man what's going on like do i want to do this I I just have this little glimmer of somehow I did something right five years ago, and I was like, implant the chip. The chip says, <laughs> "Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit." That's like it. And sometimes you really need that, like, don't quit, yeah. Because every now and then it's like, what the hell? <laughs> they make this so hard for us. Like, they really make it hard to make a living
0: playing music, but it's worth it. You gotta be your own inner manager. You gotta have your own little manager in your head telling you, like, you know. Yeah, and then obviously, disclaimer
1: if your brain is screaming at you to quit for yeah. like a year, quit. Like, don't. Yes, right, do. But that's not me. I know myself, and I know that like when I'm down is when I want to get the little doubt voice that's like, oh, why are you doing this? You could be doing something else. You could be making real money. You could be working at a magazine or blah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to stick it through, you know, maybe change something, maybe mm-hmm. reorganize. But I this is like my life for the foreseeable future. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, so inspiring. And really, really, thanks, really Harry. great to talk to you. And thank you for being yeah, on. The, thanks for joining fun. me for today.
1: Well, I hope I get to go up to New York sometime. I mean, we hit the East Coast like pretty often. So next year, I'll definitely hit you up when we're in town and see if you want to come
0: play on a song or something. Awesome. Yeah, like hit me up and uh, I'll come on out. And um, yeah, I'll you just... could
1: play the Oxbow Meander part. Even I mean, w- it's not a it's not a, you know, you can still do it on a not. Baritone banjo, I'd be quite happy with that.
0: That's awesome. Well, I wanna just uh kind of link to your stuff here. You got a website, it's www.cristinavane.com and that's Christina. Mm-hmm. C-R-I-S-T I-N-A-V-A-N-E. So that's a, a you know, a certain spelling of Christina. No H in there. Italian is what it is. Ah, it's
1: Italian. In It in Italy there's uh no H after a C unless it's trying to block a vowel, so there's no need for it in Christina, because in R there's just no other way you pronounce that. I don't know if that made oh, any sense. Oh yeah, no,
0: that makes sense. But
1: if you had an I after that and you were trying to have a hard c sound, you would put an H. That's the only time in Italy like you'd put
0: an H. Oh after yeah. C. I don't. I don't like, speak Italian, but I'm trying to imagine this. Yeah. Well, like you get it. Christ I get it.
1: Would just be C R I S T because like how else would you pronounce that? But if it was like. uh uh, Cetaphil or a ce word and you want it to be ketaphil, you'd put an H after the C. That's like what oh. the H does in Italian. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. For anyone no, like nobody cares, but
0: if you were caring yeah. that's, that's how it works. <laughs> we, we got a diverse listening uh, audience here. Um, and then for your Bandcamp, for these tracks that we're playing today, uh, it's com. So um, yeah, that's it. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off here?
1: no thanks so much for having me I appreciate
0: it it's a pleasure um, alright thanks for listening everybody if you have any questions comments ideas you can email us at at gmail.com. that's the name of this podcast followed by podcast at gmail.com follow us on Instagram at banjochat this episode is recorded, mixed and mastered by myself alright everybody we'll see you next time bye If you'd like to support the Banjo Chat Podcast, all you got to do is help it along with a little like, a little subscribe, and a little review, and that'll help boost it a little bit so I can keep making these for you. Thanks so much.